0: Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. If you have your Bibles, if you open them to Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five, we're gonna pick up where we have left off last week in the, the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been looking at what are six antitheses of Jesus within the Sermon on the Mount. So it's uh, it's called the antitheses because of the manner in which they are organized. We've we've read that the uh, the people of old have said, or you have heard it said but i say unto you so jesus is, is speaking a fulfillment of the law that was offered inside of the old covenant when we use the word antithesis we may think that uh, that these two words one from the law one from jesus are set in conflict with each other but that is not at all what we're saying because we understand because of matthew chapter 5 verse 17 that jesus was not coming to abolish the law that's what he told us but he said i'm coming to fulfill the law So what Jesus is doing is he's expanding the expectation of the follower of Christ, of the one that would claim to be his disciple. He is saying not only is it necessary that your life reflect an outward righteousness, but it also ought to reflect an inner righteousness. So today, the, the other antithesis that we will read is no different than the ones we've talked about in the last few weeks. He sets up talking about what the law has said or what the people of old has said, and then he expands that expectation. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say unto you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, or by the earth, for it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil." God, be with us this morning as we explore this passage of Scripture together. God, help us to see, Lord, today what you expect from us as your disciples. God, the inner righteousness that you've called us to be reflected, Lord, in the way that we take our steps, and even today, Lord, the way that we use our words. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit bring to our minds areas of correction and areas of encouragement, God, that we need as your followers. Lord, as we live in in the midst of a difficult time in what seems like an unchristian world, God, let us live with integrity. And let it begin, God, with the way that we use our words. God, we love you so much. We thank you for meeting with us in this place. We thank you for the previous hour of worship that we've had. and God, we thank you for this moment of worship that we've shared together, God. And we know that your spirit continues to be with us, Lord. And we ask that you let him speak. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We live in the world of fake news. We live in the world of where, when you hear something, you're not sure whether or not it's the truth. We have to take what we hear, no matter what source it comes from, and try to discern for ourselves whether or not it is accurate or it is a falsehood. We live in the midst of a world that you can't trust any source that you go to without second-guessing without second it. But we have to understand that this idea of fake news or falsehoods is not something that is new. As a matter of fact, falsehoods or fake news began all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent appeared to Adam and said, Did, did he really say... When he spoken to Eve, did God really say that you cannot eat from this tree? But even beyond the biblical example at the very fall of man, throughout history we have seen this idea of fake news or falsehoods by our words being played out. In the early 13th century B.C., a long time ago, there was a man by the name of Octavian. And Octavian was a military man. He was a statesman in Rome. And Octavian had this enemy. His name was Mark Antony. That name probably sounds more familiar. But Octavian began to share rumors about Mark Antony that were not true. He told everyone that he could. He whispered in the ears of people and told them that Mark Antony was a drunkard. He was a womanizer. And he was just a puppet to the leader Cleopatra. He had no mind of his own. He was just doing what he was told. It sounds a lot like American politics, doesn't it? Mark Anthony is a good man, but Octavian is sharing falsehoods about him. He's telling untruths about him. Ultimately, it would lead to Mark Anthony's suicide. False news or fake news is not something that's new. It's been around from the very beginning of time. Even the church has experienced this itself. You will remember when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and he he said those things that are common to us but were not common to the world at the time. He said, this is my body, right? Take it and eat it. And this is my blood. Take it and drink it. The world in that day had no spiritual lens to understand what Jesus was doing, and so rumors begin to pass all over the known world that Christians, these people that wanted to be like Jesus, they were cannibals, they were eating bodies and drinking blood. It's fake news, and it's been going around and been going on for a long time, and it does so because at the very fall of man we see that the integrity of men's words cannot be trusted. The integrity of men's words cannot be trusted. Jesus, he is standing on the side of that mountain, literally. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is standing on the side of that mountain, and he's looking to his disciples, and he's telling them, your words must have integrity. People have to be able to believe what you say. He says that your yes should be yes and your no should be no. The first thing that I want you to note if you're taking notes about this passage of Scripture is that God is a witness to all of our words. Jesus, his words may be misunderstood if we're not careful. We need to to see what Jesus is actually telling his disciples because his major intent to all of his disciples is that the words that they use and the promises that they make, they have to be done so with integrity. Listen to what he says. He says, some of you make an oath by heaven. This is the latter part of 34. Some of you make an oath by heaven for it's the throne of God or by earth it's its footstool or by Jerusalem it's the city of the great king and don't take an oath by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. These statements make no sense to the modern reader. We don't make promises. We don't swear to heaven. We don't swear to earth. We don't swear to Jerusalem. So these things have little meaning for us. None of us make promises like this. I promise to you on Jerusalem that my word can be trusted. I promise you on earth that my word can be trusted. But listen to what Jesus is saying. He is telling us that this apparently was a common way that men would try to reinforce that they could be trusted. People would say, you can trust me. I swear on Jerusalem that you can trust me. And we know this because Jesus says... You have heard that said of those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. And he gives us options of what we might swear by. Now, none of this makes good sense to us. We would not make swears like this. But what had happened inside of the scribes and the Pharisees is they had created loopholes. They had created a means by which you could get out of the truthfulness of your words. Go to Matthew chapter 23. It's important for us to see Matthew 23 because Matthew 23 is the seven woes of Jesus to, his, to the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and one of the woes includes the way that they make promises. It includes the way that they use their words. In Matthew 23, beginning in verse 16, Jesus talks about the way that the Pharisees and the scribes would swear. Verse 16 says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it, and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits on it. Do you hear this? The Pharisees and the scribes had created this convoluted system where if you, if you swore upon the altar, it wasn't really legitimate, but if you swore upon the gift that was on the altar, then you had to make up that which you promised to do. They had created this convoluted system where you could make oaths and not intend to keep your oath. You could swear by something but not intend to keep your promise. How childish is this of these Pharisees and scribes to make such rules? You know, it's, it's so childish that we would never participate in anything like this, but, but you probably remember as a child where you would hear someone make a promise or one child make a promise to another child, and the, the child would say, uh, well, I, I, I pinky promise, right? And that means it's legit. Like if you pinky promise, it's for real. Before that, maybe not. Or if you make a promise to somebody and they call you out on it and they say, well, you told me that you were going to do this and you haven't done it. And they say, well, I had my fingers crossed behind my back or I had my toes crossed. This is what the Pharisees and the scribes are doing. They're giving themselves loopholes by which not to have to do that which they have promised to do. They're giving themselves a religious excuse for maintaining the integrity that Jesus requires of his disciples and the usage of their words. So Jesus says, you want to swear by heaven? Good, that's where God is. You, You want to swear by the earth? Great, God has made every bit of it, and it is his footstool. You want to swear by Jerusalem? Even better, that is the city of the king in which we worship. You want to swear by your head? Great, Because it is God who determines the hair that is on your head. It is God that determines the number of hairs on your head. And he says, who is anyone that can make his hair black or make his hair white? Now, I understand. Today, if you have white hair, you can make it black. I understand that today... You can make yourself appear that you have more hair than you actually do. But what Jesus is saying here is that the one who has made your head, the one who is the king of Jerusalem, the one whose feet are upon the earth and who is in heaven, he is always in view of every promise that you make. No matter what you swear your promises to, it is in full view of God. No no matter whom or to what you may make a promise, you are always making promises in the full view of God. And this has to be the perspective of the disciple who's living in a hard world. This has to be the perspective of the the Christian who is living in an unchristian world, our words as believers, as followers of Christ, they must be dependable and sure. We must become a people of integrity with the usage of our words. Jesus, as he's sitting there on the side of that mountain, he's saying, Guys, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Let there be a sure foundation that your words can be. Trusted, Look, consider this. You only have to take an oath. You only have to swear by something else if others deny the reliability of your words. So we say things like, I promise, I swear it's never going to happen again. I promise I'm going to do what I've told you I'm going to do. And you make those extra promises, you swear on heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or whatever else because your words can't be trusted. You're trying to build something up that doesn't exist. The integrity of your words, the integrity of a follower of Jesus ought to be simple enough. Yes and no and nothing more is required. Your yes and your no is all that's needed for the follower of Jesus. Living and speaking in a manner that does not require you to swear by anything should be the goal and the life of the follower of Jesus. Something we need to say, I think, just quickly here, because this can be construed to say something that it's not. Jesus is not speaking against all oath-taking. He's not speaking against all oath-taking. Some people, some religious sects would take that section of Scripture and they would say that therefore you should not pledge allegiance to a nation or you should not make any oaths other than one to Jesus Christ and your Lord. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't against making oaths. He's against men's integrity being questioned based on the failure of their yes being yes and their no being no. He he wants your life to be displayed as one of integrity. Jesus continues after he teaches us this about what we should not swear to. Look at verse 37. He says, therefore, let let what you say be simply yes or no. And then there's a semicolon there, which is a, a new thought or a new idea. He says, anything more, meaning anything more than just a yes or no, anything more than this comes from evil. The final part of this last verse I think requires us to consider our words and the usages of our words in everyday life. See, Jesus, Jesus has led us to see that there, there is no additional need for swearing by anything. Just a yes and no. That's all that's needed from a man with inner righteousness. And he says anything else, anything else that is required comes from Evil, or some translations say, those words come from the evil one. See, it seems that Jesus is drawing a contrast here. Follow me, between those who have integrity and those who don't. While we may not like what Jesus is telling us here, but listen, we need to be clear that He's declaring that falsehoods that come from your lips only do so because the evil one has an influence over them. See, James talks about this very same thing. James talks a great deal about the power and the influence of our, turn, our tongues and our words and the evil one that can use our tongues. James chapter 3, verse 5 says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting a fire the entire course of life, and set on fire. Listen to what James says. Set on fire by hell. Similar to Jesus saying, anything more than just a yes or a no comes from evil. James says... Your tongue can be set on fire by hell. This word hell that James uses here is is the word Giana. There are several words for hell inside of uh, the New Testament, but this is the word Giana, which Giana was a particular place outside of Jerusalem. There was a place outside of Jerusalem that people would take all of their rubbish, they would take all of their trash. It was a ravine outside of Jerusalem, and literally it was a burn pile. They would would heap up trash and burn it there, and Giana was a place of consistent and constant fire. And so he's looking to these people, James, is and he's saying that your tongue is from hell it is from that place over there that place of a constant burning and in our minds we don't understand the actual place of Guiana. so we see whenever James talks about Guiana, we see it as the idea or the the picture of a place of of judgment right? It's a place of judgment, and we see this as a place of judgment, a place of judgment for evil. And James is drawing a correlation between the use of our words and how misused they set a forest on fire. This forest fire comes from the place of evil. That is the place of hell, the place where there is eternal judgment. And Jesus is saying, if anything other than your yes means yes and your no means no, anything more than this, Jesus says, is from the same place. It's from the evil one. It is from evil. It is from the place of burning eternally. When our words are used in ways that they were not intended to be used, when our words do not confirm our integrity, they are proving our need for God. They are proving that our use of language should be pleasing to Him and not birthed in evil itself. See, Jesus says, Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Only offer a yes And a no, anything else added to it or to so attempt to prove your integrity is proof in itself that you have no integrity. We ought to so live our lives as Christian in an unchristian world that what we say the community understands to be the truth. This is the way he wants his disciples to live. He wants them to understand that that all of their words should be living as pleasing God because God is completely in view of all of His words. And lastly, I want to just remind you that, that our words are a reflection of our inner righteousness. You know, as we've looked at these last few passages of Scripture the last few weeks, these antitheses or these culminations, these you've heard it said, but I say unto you, We've always anchored ourselves back to verse 17. Don't forget verse 17. Because in verse 17, Jesus says, I- I'm telling you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we've said, how can our lives ever be greater than a scribe and a Pharisee? They were completely obedient to the law, to their best effort." They obeyed not only the law, but the rules around the law, the hedges around the law. And not only the hedges around the law, but the commentaries that set rules for the hedges around the law. These people live their lives to the best effort, to their best effort, as sinless as possible. How can our righteousness ever exceed theirs? And it's because Jesus wants his disciples to be more concerned about their inner righteousness than their outward righteousness. Remember, it's an inside-out life that we've been called to. Concern yourself with what's going on inside of you. Concern yourself with what's happening in your heart, and then it will be lived out by your feet. Yeah, you know, most of us, we probably think we've got this word thing under control. We may think we've got this word thing under control because, you know, we don't... We don't cuss. Maybe we just spell them out when the kids are around. Or, are we, or we don't use our words in a hatred or evil manner towards other people. We think maybe we've got this word thing under control. But what Jesus is saying, is not just about the words that you say. It's not just about how you say your words. It's about the integrity of your words. It's about the swearing of your words when you say something that it is reflective of what's happening on the inside of you. That what happens with your feet is reflective of what's happening in your heart. What's happening from your tongue is reflective of what the righteousness that Jesus has put upon you in your heart. See, I'm telling you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, means your words need to have integrity, but they need to match a heart of integrity, of righteousness from Jesus Christ himself. The measure of our words, Jesus would say, is a measure of our hearts. What comes from our lips is a measure of what's happening inside of us. So again, we come to this point that we've come to, every time we've looked at one of these antitheses. We say, praise God for His imputed righteousness upon us. None of us will ever be able to earn enough righteousness to experience a presence with God here or even in the future. But Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf makes us righteous before the Father in heaven. But our salvation process doesn't end there. We are at that moment made righteous, but we are at that moment begin a process of becoming more like Christ. We call it sanctification, but it's becoming more like Jesus. And so it's not enough just for us to say, Jesus has paid for my sin. Jesus now says, live like I have paid for your sin. Live in righteousness. And so we ask ourselves, as we apply this in our lives, we ask ourselves, does our words, are they displaying the life that Christ has called his disciples to on the side of this mountain? I would say... The way that we walk this road of righteousness through sanctification is through seeking after Jesus every day. Jesus makes us more righteous in our hearts, and therefore we are more righteous in our feet as we seek him every day, as we practice those disciplines of our faith, as we read our word, as we spend time with him praying and communicating, as we study and as we discern the will of the Father through the through the inspiration of the Spirit. As we do those things, He will add integrity to our words. This is what Jesus is saying to His disciples. You've heard it say that you can swear by things. But I'm saying to you just let your yes be yes. Just let your yes and no stand for themselves. Anything else you have to add to it, anything else comes from the evil one let's pray together God we have we've walked this journey Lord and we've seen Lord these statements of where you call your disciples to something greater Lord and again this morning you're calling your disciples to something greater than just swearing by some convoluted system by which we can escape from the truthfulness of our words and God we we won't we want to be, as you've called your disciples, we want to be just men and women whose yes and no is enough, is sufficient. And God, if we're going to live in the midst of, of a world that is so lost and so in need of the truth, so in need of a standard, God, it's going to have to begin with us. People are going to have to be look to us as the church and say, those guys, they mean what they say. Their feet support their lips their walk god is representative of what they claim god let us be a people god a people of integrity with our words god falsehoods and fake news is all around us but don't let it be a part of the church guys we stand here in a moment and as we sing God, I would just pray that as we sing, Lord, that your spirit would continue to work in us, God. As we worship God, we would, we would continue to cry out to you and ask for your help in this situation. We all need help, God. We all need help with our words. So help us. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord.